Welcome to the Boonville Worship Center Sermon Podcast. Uh, Heavenly Father, God, we just um, pause, we take a moment. God, just to quiet our hearts and just coming in off of um, busy days, God of work, um, helping others, whatever it is, Lord God, coming in from busyness, Lord. And so, God, right now, I just ask that you would quiet our hearts, that you would still us. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence that's with us to um, bring clarity, bring conviction, bring truth, and to comfort and teach us. So, God, we just invite you to increase. We thank you. Just ask that you would release your word tonight, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Did, oh, did you want me to pass this around? Uh, yeah. You want to get that much in people's business? I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Here, sign up. I'm just kidding. It's good. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, the title of what I've been speaking about is Living in the Design of My Father, the Centrality of Forgiveness. Um, and so if you were here last week, or if you weren't, I'm just going to have a little bit of a recap. Um, basically, the way that God designed us was as beings who are supposed to receive love from him and then give love. And I depicted that in this little drawing here, which is really good, by the way. So God's up here, and each one of these circles like represents people, okay? So we are recipients of God's love, and then we are supposed to extend that, that same type and quality of love to others, right? So we went over Matthew 5, 48, where Jesus commands that we are to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And he says that in um, context to loving our enemies as the Father loves his enemies, pours out rain and sunshine on those who basically despise and hate him. Um, and we went through several different passages where Jesus commands us to love one another as he has loved us. So our design is that we would be recipients of love and give love to others. Um, but what happens is offense. Of things offend us, and we, we talked about an invisible rule book that each one of us has, where it, an invisible rule book is basically things that I value and believe that you should act, behave, do certain things based on my invisible rule book that comes from how I was raised, my gender, my age, my socioeconomic class, like all different types of things. I have rules inside my head that are unspoken that I don't even know about sometimes until someone does something that bothers me. And then all of a sudden, they've broken one of my rules. Offense begins to build up in my heart. And if I allow that to stay there, um, what happens is the, the, this giving of love stops. And it doesn't stop into all-out hatred necessarily, though it can build to that. But we, last week, we wrote a list of um, what the opposite of love is. And so I can't remember all of them, but some of them was hate, strife, division, indifference, apathy, bitterness, unforgiveness, envy, and jealousy. There's just different things that happen inside of our hearts when someone is doing something um, that is either, again, offensive to me because of, of my invisible rule book, or it might actually be just downright sinful against me. Um, but either way, no matter if it's violating one of God's moral and ethical laws or if it's violating my own rule book, um, the command is still the same, right? That, that I am to love others as God has loved me. Um, so that is our design um, and our purpose. Oh, I had this up here too. John 17. Um, when our design stays intact and we don't have these breakdowns of, of relating, in John 17, Jesus, when he prayed before he went to the cross, what he was praying for was that we would be one as he and the Father are one. It's a complete um, unity 
of purpose and mind and love and affection that again is only, it only happens when we don't harbor these things in our hearts because of the offenses that we have towards one another. Um, so that's a little bit of the re a recap. And I also ended with this thought last week, um, that God is the one who should be the most offended, but he's not. <laughs> but God has, he could be the most offended and really should be. And I'm just going to list some things of, of why. God is misrepresented by his own people. Like we misrepresent him. God is blamed for anything wrong in our lives. God is not honored or valued for his true worth. That's a big one. God is not recognized in the truth of who he is. He's not worshiped above all else. God is misunderstood all the time. We think he's boring, that he's weak, that he's not faithful, that he's not there, that he won't comfort us, that he's angry when he's not and he's silent when he should speak. God always gives more than he receives. God serves even when he's not thanked or recognized. And God is spoken for, like we speak for him. Um, and others say things he is never saying or has never said. Have you ever thought about that? Like, do you like it when someone misrepresents you to someone else? <laughs> or when someone does something that causes a misunderstanding about you and your heart? That bothers us. But it's happening to God all, every day, all day. Um, God, every person on this planet, 8 billion people, has a thought about God. And some are right and most are wrong, probably. <laughs> um, okay, but despite all of this, God chooses to love and continues to keep an open heart towards those who repent of their wrongdoing. Because James, I think it's 2.19, but I didn't look it up, but I'm pretty sure it's James 2. His mercy triumphs over judgment every time. When we come back to him um, in any way that we've offended him, broken a law, whatever, when we return back, his mercy will triumph over judgment. To those who respond to his love, he forgives. And we'll, we'll get into some of um, the depictions of what his forgiveness looks like because it's pretty shocking and, and beautiful, really. Um, his forgiveness covers, washes, blesses, honors, restores, saves. The ones who fail at loving him, he loves by keeping an open heart. And that's the thing that I want us to recognize is um, that we're kind of going to tease out and talk about is that when God forgives, it it's, it's keeping an open and tender heart towards people, extending a hand so that relationship can be there, but it doesn't mean that relationship will be there, okay? But if we're supposed to love with the same quality of love that God has, it means that when we're forgiving people that we have the ability to have a relationship with them if if there is a restoration of that relationship, but there isn't always. Um, and again, we'll talk about that a little bit more as we progress here. Um, so if we return back to him, he has an open heart to receive us no matter what we have done. And we see this even all the way at the end of this story in Revelation 16. There are seven bulls that God pours out upon the earth that are the final wrath of God, the Bible describes. Final wrath of God. And in the midst of those bowls, after they're poured out, there's this phrase. It says, they did not repent of their deeds. Which means that in the midst of God's final wrath being poured out upon the earth, and he is pouring these out, there is an opportunity for people to repent and turn back to God, and he's extending a hand saying, hey, if you repent, you're going to be brought back into full relationship with me. All the way towards the end, he's offering humanity an opportunity to turn back to him and to receive full forgiveness, full sonship, 
washing, healing, restoration, all of it, all the way till the very end. There's an opportunity to repent. Um, but it doesn't mean that people will, right? But his mercy will triumph over judgment. Even the judgments at the very end, his mercy will triumph over it to those who turn back to him. Okay. And we see this also example in uh, Judas, right? Jesus was in the garden knowing that he was going to go to the cross and Judas comes up to him and what he says, what Jesus says to him is, friend, do what you came here to do. Ultimately, do, like, betray me. I know that's why you came here, but I'm calling you friend. Like, almost like there's still an opportunity for you to turn to not do this. So this is the same quality of love that we are called to, that we were designed to have, to receive and to give to others, to our enemies, to those who betray us, to those who annoy us, to those who wrong us, to those who misunderstand us, to those who despise us. And this is not easy. It is a supernatural work of God in our hearts that he does as we continually offer to him our situations, our emotions, our perspectives, and choose to forgive those who have wronged us because we know our Father has forgiven us. Okay, I kind of talked through some of this that I had written down, but. Okay, so if, <laughs> again, think about this. If God stuck to his offenses that he had against us, which he could, <laughs> then none of us would have any hope. We would have no hope. Uh, we would have no goodness. We would have no peace. We would have absolutely nothing in this life because God has a reason to be utterly offended at us. But his love is so great that he does something different. And in Proverbs 8, um, at the end of that chapter, it talks about how God delighted in his inhabited world, delighted in it. Um, and he still does. He still delights in this creation. He still delights in people. But sin is an issue, and so that's why he did something about it, right? Because he delights in this inhabited world, and he wants it back the way that he, um, in complete fullness. So we all have fallen short of loving, even in the most simplest of ways, because when we get offended, our hearts naturally just do all of these things, <laughs> naturally, um, we all have had bouts of extreme flesh that exemplify the worst in humanity, but in that place, Jesus, Jesus reaches out his hand and says, I'll lead you. Like, we all have done things when someone has wronged us or offended us that's really nasty. I mean, I'm just assuming so, I know myself, I'm just assuming that most of us have done the same thing. And yet, when we do that, God's like, hey, I'm right here. You don't have to continue in this way. There's a better way, like, humble yourself, let me teach you. And then begin to love others like I'm loving you right in this moment. <laughs> He's designed us to have the same quality of love that he is our father has, and it's for our good, it's for our glory, and his that we learn to love like him, which requires forgiveness, an open heart, and learning more and more how to love as he has loved. Okay, so I wanna um, look at a couple passages where it, it, they are really rich in picturing what God's forgiveness looks like, and these are awesome passages to begin to meditate upon. Um, meditate upon for our own lives and our own sins, but then also, especially as we have, we feel offense in our heart because of something else that someone else is doing. Um, so the first one is Psalm 103, verses 10 through 15. Okay, 
says, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to, the, to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. So again, the, the, the picture that the scripture is giving us of how great his forgiveness is, what he does with our sins is remove it from us so far. If you could measure how far the east is from the west, which is impossible, which means he removes it so far from us, there is no way it is ever going to be accounted to you again. When the Father forgives us, he completely removes it from us. It's never to be seen again because that is a measure that can never be measured. He knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust and therefore he has compassion. So it's like when he's looking at us, he's seeing us for the, the littleness of what we are. I mean, we're dust. <laughs> dust of the earth, made from dust, a very fragile frame, it says, that are little and small and breakable. And so when, when we do things against him, Obviously, we have a very high calling, but at the same time, he has compassion remembering what we were created from. And it's the same thing with our, our children. You know, when our children do wrong, like we can get really upset, but then you see their smallness and their cuteness, and it's like, oh my goodness, okay. Um, it kind of just melts your heart. I mean, that's, that's the heart of our Father. So again, when, when we have someone that has done something against us, um, and again, it might not even be something big, but it's still like annoying us and it's disrupting the relationship. If it's disrupting the relationship, that means we're not getting to hear. And that's the whole point of this. Jesus is trying to get us to this oneness and unity with the Father. He wants us to be one with him and the Father as he is one with the Father. So if that's where he's taking us and we have these things down here that are disrupting our relationships that's why he's like okay you know then meditate on psalm 103 and that person who is doing that against you and frustrating you or making your life more difficult they are dust and so are you have compassion and remember that in the same way that i have removed their sins as far as the east is from the west that's what i want you to do for them as well. And I am not saying this is easy. <laughs> That's why we're talking about it. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go to Micah 7, 18 through 19. Micah 7, 18 through 19. So Micah says, Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. So, Again, the way that it's describing what God's love and forgiveness and compassion is like. He pardons it. He passes over it. That's like if, <laughs> if you're walking and there's something in the way. Normally, if we see someone sin or they're sinning against us, we stop and we pick it up and we look at it and we analyze it and we get frustrated about it and we we get mad that it's it's hindering our walk our way but god what it's saying is he passes over it right so um when people's sins are affecting us that's what he's wanting us to do like pass over it 
says that he treads our iniquities underfoot. That is a rich picture of what God does. He treads it underneath his feet. And this is good if you, if, if you know someone or you are someone who struggles with condemnation. These are really good passages to look at. If you're struggling with the reality that, man, I did this and I feel like junk because of, you know, I did this, then this, <laughs> this picture of God treading your sins underneath his feet, like meditate on that for a while and tell the voice of condemnation to be silent because this is what God does to our sins. He treads our iniquities underfoot. He casts all of our sins into the depths of the sea. Does anybody know how deep the ocean is? I don't either. Oh, it does? Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, I know it's like several miles. Um, and you could not swim down there. So he casts our sins <laughs> into the depths of the sea, never to be unearthed ever again. So that's what he does in the midst of our sins. So thank you, God. <laughs> and that is to those who repent. Again, I do want to make that distinction. His mercy triumphs over judgment to those who turn back to him. So in the midst, okay, okay, sorry. I heard this phrase as I was preparing this, um, the second part, that Jesus doesn't take sides, okay? So this is really hard for us because when we get into a disagreement or a conflict, again, or whatever, just someone's bothering us, um, what happens is it's like we start to analyze all the ways that we're right and they're wrong, typically. Or what we did was right and the ways they've acted or what they have done or what they have said is wrong. Um, but Jesus doesn't take sides. <laughs> And uh, the picture that he was giving me was, it's like he's drawing a line in the sand. You have two people over here that are having conflict. And he's drawing a line in the sand, looking at them. And again, when, you, when, you, when it's between two people, like there is negative emotions and stuff happening in there, right? Between two people. So they're face to face having these negative emotions. And Jesus is standing there. And what he's saying is, Who's going to come over to my side? On this side of the line, where righteousness is. Because I don't take sides. Um, and I want to draw this out a little bit. Um, because God does judge, right? We do know that. Um, but I want to read a verse. Um, it says in Joshua 5, 13 through 14 should have wrote all these out. I didn't have time this week. Um, but it goes a lot quicker. Okay, so Joshua, this is when he was by Jericho. It says, He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our, or, or for our... Wow, that is a mouthful. Are you for us or for our adversaries. And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So again, um, what, what, I'm, what I felt like the Lord was, was showing was that in the midst of our sinful fallen humanity, again, when we're in conflicts with, with people and, and people are doing things that are getting in our way or annoying us, we're always just making it a battle between two people and between two wills and between who's doing what's right and what's not. And God is wanting us to come to his side, to have his perspective, to see the other person through his eyes, 
and his eyes of love and really understand that that person over there has a life history, has circumstances, has things that have motivated them to do whatever they did. And that's not to make an excuse. It's just, again, that we are, if we are supposed to have compassion on others and begin to love our enemies and bless those who curse us, when we're in conflict, we can't have this back and forth thing. We have to come over on Jesus's side where righteousness dwells and allow him to begin shaping the way we think, the way we feel, the way we're acting in the midst of conflict. Um, and again, I'm not saying that that is easy at all. Um, but so when I say that God doesn't choose sides, um, we know that God judges, right? Like there are times and moments when God, over a nation, he says, okay, your iniquity is full, and it's time for me to judge you. Um, I should have put this passage in the, in the notes, but I didn't. I think it's in Isaiah 10, where Israel has basically reached a point to where, the, where God is like, you know what, enough's enough. I'm going to send um, the king of Assyria over. He's an axe, a servant in my hand, an axe, and he's going to come against you. But, it says, as Assyria comes to judge you, if Assyria, the king of Assyria, goes too far, and begins doing things that are outside of my will, they will be judged too. So my point is that it doesn't mean that Israel is right or Assyria is right. God uses both to bring about righteousness, right? Israel was doing something that was unrighteous. He raised up another nation to bring judgment upon them, but they're responsible for their actions as well, and he wants to produce righteousness in Assyria as well. And so if they go too far, he's going to then judge Assyria for doing what was wrong and going against his commands. Is this making sense? I'm using nations, but was talking about individuals. But it's the same thing. Like God is looking to produce righteousness and love and holiness inside of us. So again, he's saying, are you going to come over to my side <laughs> and, and do what I'm calling you to do? Or are you going to continue to make this a battle between two wills? Who's right? Who's wrong? Who did what? Because that's where we have, that's where God wants us to step away from. And it's hard because when we're in the midst of uh, conflicts or disagreements, um, when we are coming over to the Lord's side to get a new perspective, to have him examine our hearts to see where we have done wrong, where we're walking in unforgiveness, where we have some of this stuff going on in our hearts, it doesn't mean that the other party or the other person is right. We often want to be right and to be in the right. Um, but just because we're taking a step back to, ha to, to come over to where the Lord is to see things from his perspective, it doesn't mean that, again, the other offending party, the ones that have hurt us, is right. But we are then doing what is right because we're supposed to be where he is. And we're supposed to be the ones, when we have conflict with someone else, um, coming to the Lord to, f to help this flow get back. Receive love and give love to those who are offending us or hurting us. All right. I number my pages now. I didn't used to do that. And then I'd be up here like, I don't know what page I'm supposed to be on because my kids would uh, <laughs> mess my papers up before I got here. Mm. All right. It, yeah, numbering the pages works. <laughs> so don't enter into the schemes of the devil. When you are hurt and offended based off something someone is doing wrongly, ignorantly, or otherwise, right? Because sometimes people offend us. E they're ignorant of it. Again, that's that invisible rule book. They're not stated rules. We just have them. People are living their life, doing their thing, and they're getting flustered at us, and we don't even know why. We don't even know why, but it's just because of our invisible rule book. Okay, God sees things differently than we do. Um, 
So again, this is thinking about like an invisible rule book that we have. We often begin to judge others and weigh them based on the rules we have hidden in our hearts because of what is acceptable to us based on personality, preferences, convictions, upbringing. We look at what people are doing more than who they are and the fruit of their lives. But God looks and judges us according to what is in our hearts and what our life produces. So I want to give an example um, of Jesus and John the Baptist. We talked a little bit about John the Baptist last week and how the testimony that Jesus said about his life was that he was the greatest man born of a woman. Um, so Luke 7, 33 through 35, um, I'm going to read it. It says, For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. So think about this. You have John the Baptist, who the testimony about him was that he was one of the greatest men, and then you have Jesus, the Son of God himself. And as people were interacting with them and looking at their life, they're looking at John the Baptist. Again, he ate locusts and honey. He lived in the Essene community, which was out in the wilderness. Um, he wore strange clothing. It was a very ascetic lifestyle, fasted lifestyle, for the purpose of being able to commune with God and read the scriptures and just be secluded. And so people saw his lifestyle, and then there's Jesus, who, I mean, the accusation was that he was a drunkard. So he must have had some, quite a bit of wine, I'm just saying. Um, that was his, the accusation against him, that he ate with tax collectors, he hung out with a rough crowd, sinners, and people are looking at these two, and they're trying to figure out what real godliness is, because they're looking at the externals of their life and how they're living, and yet on some level, God is like, no, it's their hearts, and what is, what is their life producing? And both of these men were calling people to repentance and to come back to God, so I'm not making any excuses for drinking or anything like that. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that when we think about our invisible rule book, okay, because we have these rules, we think people should live a certain way. And when they don't, we begin to judge and we begin to make accusations based upon what we see and what we think is right. But here you have Jesus and John the Baptist living very different lifestyles, but they were doing what the Father was commanding them to do. They were calling people to repentance and producing righteousness in other people. Um, and people were accusing both of them wrongly and trying to find out what, what it was, okay? Do you see, does that make sense? Like how an invisible rule book of, of the ways that we begin to judge people and get offended and then not be able to receive from them, right? Um, Matthew 9, verse 14, you have John's disciples coming to Jesus, and they said, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? <laughs> Again, they're like, I mean, who wants to fast, seriously? <laughs> Nobody really wants to fast. So John's disciples uh, were coming to Jesus, like, why do we have to do this? Why are we doing this? And they're not, and yet somehow your disciples are doing more stuff than we, I mean, uh, who knows what all was going inside of their minds and hearts, but it sounds like there's some type of, like, <laughs> frustration there, that they're having to do that, and Jesus's disciples are not. Um, yes. <sighs> so John 15, 9, um, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So in the same way that the eternal father has loved the eternal only begotten son, that is the way that Jesus has loved us. And again, that is the, the quality of love that he's inviting us into to be partakers of, but then also commanding us to love others with. 
Um, Okay, I want to look at another way that we um, view one another and compare that a little bit to how um, how the Lord loves us. We're gonna we're gonna be in Psalm 107. Okay. So Psalm 107 is so helpful because it gives four different types of people and how God, what he does to help them when they cry out to him, okay? So it talks, and I'm reading from the ESV, but it gives four different examples of humanity and how they suffer because of their own choices, but the goodness of the Lord that results when they just cry out to him, like what he does. So the the beginning of Psalm 107 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Okay, and then verses 4 through 9. So this is one one of the types of people. I call it the wanderers or the ungrateful, okay? Some wandered in the desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for, he, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things." So you have people who are wandering around, okay? They're wandering around in desert places. So we all know we are like sheep, right? And what do sheep do? (laughs) We wander away from our shepherd. And what happens when we're wandering away is we are not in the green pastures and drinking of the still waters that he has readily available for us. We wander away and then we begin to hunger and thirst and pine away. Um, But we do that, right? We wander away and we get lost. And there are some personalities, I feel like, that I've witnessed where it's almost like they're they're always looking for the next thing. Whatever is right here is not satisfying. They have to go to the next thing. And there's this longing and searching so much. And it's like God wants to set you somewhere. he wants to set you in a city and so that you can be satisfied with his goodness, okay? So one of the ways that we make bad choices is we wander and we get ourselves into dry places. But when we cry out to the Lord, God hears us because of his steadfast love. He brings us in, sets us, which that kind of sounds like a little bit of discipline, right? Like if we're prone to wandering and he comes and sets us somewhere, he's like, stay still, (laughs) stay here, live in the city, (laughs) dwell here, and eat. (laughs) Um, He satisfies us with good things when we learn how to set. Okay, the next one are the rebellious, verses 10 through 16. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. So the first group was like the wanderers, and these people are just flat-out rebellious. Like, they don't want God's counsel. They want nothing to do with it. And so God responds by increasing affliction and difficulty in their life, right? When we just refuse to receive the Lord and his wisdom, he does that so that 
we will be like, oh my goodness, like this is awful. I should turn back. I should cry out to the Lord, right? So um, in either instance, God still responds to those who cry out to him, right? We, we kind of began the talk about the forgiveness to those who repent. These are ones who are crying out to God for help, asking him to come to their aid once again, acknowledging that he's God, acknowledging that he's the Savior. So to those who are rebellious that get literally put in prisons, it says that he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. So that's even a really strong depiction of what rebellion is. When we're walking in rebellion, we are putting ourselves in a prison behind a door that's made of bronze and that has irons on it. That's a pretty intense picture. Okay, the next uh, type of individuals, verses 17 through 22, the foolish. It says, some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. So the foolish, it says they loathe any kind of food. It's almost like a picture of someone who um, has provision right in front of them. And they're just kind of like, ah, I don't want to eat this. Like they're not, <laughs> they're foolish in their thinking and they're not doing what's right. Kind of just because of ignorance. It's not even flat out rebellion, um, but it's just ignorance and foolishness. So what he does is he sends out his word and heals them, delivers them from the destruction that they've brought upon themselves. And then finally in verses 23 through um, 32, it's the ambitious, okay? Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths, their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad and that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of elders. So again, the, this is about people who went down to the sea to do business on the great waters. To me, that speaks of people who are ambitious and want gain. Um, and so what they're doing <laughs> is they're seeking to be great and to make a lot of money. So God has to humble them. So he raises up these storms um, allowing them to be humbled and cry out to him and realize they've been prideful. Again, like when people are really gifted at something and doing business and have a lot of desire for gain, one thing that can make it come crashing down is when they lose everything and they realize like, oh my goodness, I've been thinking I've done all this in my might and in my strength and in my um, ingenuity and smartness, but one act of God can make it, can humble us quite quickly and make us realize, oh my goodness, I have nothing and I need to cry out to the Lord. Um, so the reason why I was pulling these out, okay, is God, hit the way that he deals with these ways that we are in our sinful flesh, right? And sometimes when we're interacting with other people, we begin to judge and think about the way that they're living, right? Um, seeing people as super ambitious, full of pride, um, seeing people who are just foolishly living, people who are just downright rebellious, or those who are just wandering around aimlessly, right? And again, what happens in our hearts is we begin to cast judgments and to make accusations or think certain things about them. But God is commanding us to love, and in the midst of his love, 
when he begins to release something in their life to where they realize I need to cry out to God, he is immediately there to help them. And that is the quality of love that he wants us as his church to be walking in, that we are ones that no matter what they have done, no matter what way they have been living, whether it's rebellion, wandering around aimlessly, foolishness, or just ambition and pride, that we're there to help when they're crying out because that's what he does. He's there to help. His hand is extended to help us. So it doesn't matter, um, again, the whole point of all this is that forgiveness and love is central in order for us to walk in the design of our Father because that is how he treats humanity. That's how he treats us in the midst of our sin. Um, He has manifested his love towards me by forgiving me of all of my shortcomings, all of my wanderings, all of my rebellions, all of my foolishness. He listens to me. He listens to my cry and holds out his hand to help. He passes over my sin, pardons my iniquity, treads my iniquities underneath his feet. And if this is how he has treated me when I have been offensive to him, then this is what I must learn to do because it's the quality of love that he's commanding us to walk in, me to walk in. Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14 says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. In Ephesians 4, verses 31 through 32, says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. I'm going to end with this. I had more, but we don't have time. Because <laughs> I mentioned this the last, um, last week about the Lord's Prayer. Because when Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, he said, go into your closet by yourself and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in heaven. Um, and he says, don't be like the hypocrites And the hypocrites were religious people who wanted to pray to be seen, so they prayed in front of people all the time. He says, don't be like that. Go into your room by yourself. Your father sees what you're doing, and he'll reward you. Then he also says, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles or the nations do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. So we don't have to say all kinds of stuff just to be heard. God, if we put ourselves alone before the Lord and start speaking to our Father. He is there. (laughs) He is listening. We just need to begin talking to him. And as we are aligning our hearts with the Lord's prayer, he says, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. We're aligning our hearts with who he is, what he's like. He's a father and he's holy. We're aligning our priorities with his priorities. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're asking for provision. We're saying, give us this day our daily bread. And then he says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors or those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then after that prayer, Jesus has a little, an an addendum on the end after the prayer. He says, for If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So he gives us a a model prayer of what we're supposed to pray when we go alone by ourselves. But if you notice, and I said this last week, the prayer is in plural form. He's He's saying, 
pray, Our Father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Why? Because he's, even though we're praying on our own individually, he's wanting us to always be connected to the body in the bigger whole. That my faith and my love and my devotion to him is completely connected to how I am treating and living with others. He never wants us to escape that. So when I'm praying, our Father in heaven, if I have an issue with someone else in the body of Christ, I have to acknowledge that that is their Father too. Our Father. It's not just my Father and he's taken my side and I'm right and I'm so frustrated. It's our Father. And he is going to treat me the same way that he's going to treat them. He's going to forgive me the same way that he's going to forgive them. So he says, forgive them, because if you don't forgive them, I'm not going to forgive you. But he's ready and willing to forgive both, ready and willing to teach both, to, to have us both humble our hearts and, and be on his side of the thing and see things from his perspective, his point of view, and have love being received from him and giving it back to one another. I didn't even get to get into the cost of unforgiveness, but I know we know that, <laughs> Mike. <laughs> All right, I think I'm just going to pray. And uh, yeah. So Lord, God, I just pray, um, Lord, these are challenging words for us. Um, challenging words, God, just because our hearts um, can be so affected by other people. But I thank you, Lord, that you are so ready and willing to soften our hearts, God, to expose our hearts, to teach us, to be like you, God. Lord, we, you have a house, and you want your house to be full of your sons and daughters, and you want us, sons and daughters, to be like you, to be perfect as you are perfect. And I thank you, Lord, that this is not some overbearing command because you have fulfilled it for us. God, you've given us your spirit and you just want us to let go of offenses and hurts and things that have happened in our lives, God, and begin releasing love and forgiveness. So God, I just pray grace upon each one of our hearts that we can walk in this more and more. We just thank you, Lord. We bless your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. Until next time, 